Okay, this is Gary Parrish from CBSSports.com. Again, it's now Wednesday, February 25th, and this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined uh, for this edition by Jerry Palm. He, of course, is the resident bracket projector uh, at CBSSports.com for the CBS Sports Network, which means he's overwhelmed this time of the season. So, uh, Jerry, I appreciate you being here. And what I don't want to do uh, with your valuable time is, is just pepper you about bubble teams, who's in, who's out, because that typically bores me, if only because it changes so quickly. So let's skip all of that today uh, for the most part. Uh, what I'm more interested in talking to you about is is how you do your job and what matters to you when you evaluate resumes. And so uh, the first thing I want to do is, before we get into that exactly, let's start with this. What's it like being a bracket projector for a major mainstream network in the age of Twitter? I imagine, you know, it, when people have such easy access to your mind, peppering you with questions, lots of which I assume are dumb, uh, how, how do you handle that? How much does Twitter wear you down this time of the year? Because um, the, the silly questions, are, 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 I'm assuming, are endless. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, they are. Um, <laughs> I actually enjoy that part of the job. I enjoy being on Twitter. Uh, my sense of humor is made for Twitter. I can be funny in 140 characters. Um, and, I, and the other thing it allows me to do is just be blunt. I, I, I don't have time for flowery prose or long explanations. I can just say, you know, yes, no, maybe a couple of sentences uh, and, and, you know, get things said uh, quickly. Uh, it's helped me learn to edit myself, too, I suppose, to some degree. Um, but I, I actually, for the most part, enjoy the interaction. Uh, the people who are, you know, mean to me, I uh, I either just ignore uh, or laugh at or find some way to, uh, in my own sort of um, passive aggressive way, get back at them. But uh, it's uh, I, I really enjoy the Twitter stuff. But yeah, I mean I do a lot of stuff that's repetitive, uh, and so sometimes I'll get the same question over and over and over, and it turns into a blog post, and now I've got a link that I can use to answer that question, and then sometimes it goes away. If there's one question you could let the world know to never ask you again on Twitter when it comes to the bracket this time of year, what would it be? Is there one that every time you 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 read it, you go, "Oh my God, not again!" Like for instance, yesterday I wrote a column about court storming and why I think it should be done away with, and I whether you would agree or disagree in the column, I laid it out exactly why I. Here's, here's what the issues are. Here's why I think it should be banned. And here's the way to actually ban it. Like, it's all in the column. Now, again, you and I don't mean you, but anybody, could agree with it or disagree with it. That's fine. But every position I could possibly state is in the column. And so then I would get some uh, people on Twitter. They'd go, okay, fine. But how, how would you go about banning it, Parrish? I'm like, it's in the <laughs> column. I literally explained to you exactly how to ban it. And it just dry, it's maddening. And so I know you deal with this stuff as well. Is there something that a, a particular question that you get like daily that just drives you insane? I, I would say the one that I, I, just, I, I end up just not ever answering really is what, you know, if my team wins out, what seed are we going right. to And the reason for that is because seeds are relative. You don't really control your own destiny when it comes to seeding. You know, unless you're at the very top of the bracket where you're talking about the difference between a one or a two, you know, or, but it, you're talking about like, just for example, I think the most recent one I got was from like an Indiana fan. Well, if we win out, uh, or if we win two of our last four, you know, what's our seed going to be? Can we be a five? It's not up, you know, the seeding is relative. Yes, you could be a five. You could also be a seven or an eight. And, you know, it's, it, it, you could be a four. So it just depends on what some of these other teams do. And I, I guess that that's a, thing where I find myself be, sort of beating my head against the wall is when people are asking about seeding because seeding 
is is really the one thing that a team just flat out has no control over because you can do the best that you can do, and then teams around you are going to do what they do, and you sort of land where you land. I know. I find myself every time I go on a radio station uh, around this time of the year, even though I'm not a bracket projector, you, you still end up in these conversations about, okay, what, right. is, what does Texas need to do to ensure they're in the yeah. field? Or what is Texas? And it's like, I, I, my answer is just always, you know, it depends. It depends. You know, what, what, I, what you think might, Texas might need to do on February 25th might end up being uh, plenty, might end up not being enough. Like, it's all determined right. by what's, what else is going on around the country. I, I, I don't understand why that's so hard to grasp for a lot of people, but it quite clearly, because um, I, I, I get the same questions, it's, it's difficult to grasp yeah. for a lot of well, people. Well, I, I know why it is hard to grasp, because fans are only looking at their own team. Yes. They, 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 don't, they don't have a big-picture view. They've got a very myopic view of, of the world, and it's, it's all through their own team eyes. So they don't think that anybody else matters, when in fact everybody else matters. Uh, and the seeding question, I mean, it's, the bottom of the bracket question is pretty similar. It's like, you know, what do we have to do to get in the tournament? My answer is always win your conference tournament. Right. That's the only sure thing. You might do other things, and it may be enough, but it doesn't depend on you. You know, it depends on what other teams do. You might think you've done enough, and then St. Mary's wins the West Coast tournament, and it's not enough anymore. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, that's just how it goes. Yeah, no, you you touch on something interesting that people only look at what they look at, and whereas you are looking at everything, and on a on a smaller scale, you know, when it comes to the top twenty five and one every morning, like I'm looking at everything, and so you, and then the comments come from people who don't look at everything. I always told people this before you start yelling about who should be in or out of the NCAA tournament. Sit down and put pen to paper. Like fill out a bracket because the, the you look at some of these teams and you'll go, how is that team in? Well, because you have to you have to have right. sixty eight teams. So like that, and I, I run into the same thing with the top twenty five and one. Like this morning, I don't know where I have North Carolina. I think in the twenties, right? And so immediately right. I get people going, how is North Carolina even ranked? Well, have you tried to rank twenty six teams? Go try to find yeah, right. go try to find twenty six that deserve to be ranked over North Carolina. Even if North Carolina is disappointing and or struggling, they're still probably right. one of the top twenty six resumes in the country. And so um, I, I find that to be true. What you're talking about with the bracket, exactly the same uh, with with the daily rankings. Like people, well, how is this? I had one a few weeks ago with some team. They were like, "How is this team ranked ninth? And I said, "Okay, right. find find anybody below them that you think should be right. ranked ahead of them, and then we'll talk about right. it." Right. Well, I see yeah. your point. Yeah, same thing. So uh, here is yeah. Uh, yeah, I answer questions like that sometimes too. It's like, well, how can uh, so and so still be a two seed? It's like, all right, name the name the eight teams that are more deserving. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and then and then if you've got eight, then we've got something to talk about. But it's you know, but they only just see it. You know, they they don't see big picture. Fans yeah. don't see big picture, and that's I, I understand that. But sometimes, and I guess I get in a way, it's my job to show them the big picture. Right. No, I, I run into that all the time. It's exactly the same answer. Okay. Well, how is this team in the top ten? Find me ten teams that are more deserving to be in the top ten. And if you if you can name me ten, then then we'll talk about it. But if you're just saying that's not a top ten team based on your your invented idea of what you think a top ten team ought to be, then then we're wasting each other's time. I, I'm curious about this. How do you handle teams like Northern Iowa and Wichita State? Not necessarily. Northern Iowa and Wichita State, but teams like them. They're both clearly good. The computers tend to like them, but neither can possibly have a resume that looks like a good Big 12 resume or a good ACC resume uh, because of a lack of opportunity to stack so-called quality wins. So when you're looking at teams like that, how do you balance things? Like how do you go about comparing a Northern Iowa resume to an Iowa State resume? It's a hard thing to do. Yeah. 
it, because, like you said, the, the opportunities aren't just there. And it's a hard thing for the committee to do. And you have to keep in mind that my job is to predict what the committee will do. So I try and look at things through what I perceive to be their eyes, as opposed to my own opinion of these teams, which would probably be different. Um, I, I would imagine if I was on the committee, the way I would vote would be different than what I do for my own brackets because I'm trying to predict what they'll collectively do. But uh, And that's as much art, if not more, than it is science. But um, so to, for a team like Northern Iowa, you have to – I think you have to kind of focus on their non-conference schedule because that's where they make their bones, right? I mean, that's, that's where they're going to prove themselves. And actually, Gonzaga is probably the team like that that gets the most attention because right. they're fighting for a number one seed. And you wrote about this uh, very well uh, earlier this week. Uh, if Gonzaga finishes 33-1, and one, they're not going to have the high number of quality wins that a team like Villanova is going to have or a Wisconsin is going to have or maybe even an Arizona who is the only team to beat Gonzaga is going to have. Gonzaga will have done everything that is reasonably could be expected of it. Their only loss would have been in overtime to a team that, that would be favored against every team in the country at home with one possible exception. Right. And, and I think that you've got to reward that. It was really kind of the same argument with Wichita State last year. If they're undefeated, it needs to be rewarded. So teams like that, I, I think the committee actually holds those teams to a little bit of a different standard. If you dominate your league, that's important. I mean, you can't lose in your league. You know, if you're going to be a higher seed for these teams, you, you really can't lose in your league unless you've got a situation like the Valley with two teams this year where you're going to have to play each other a few times. Um, but so Gonzaga is really an interesting case. Northern Iowa, I mean, I think, again, you, you make your bones outside the conference. You make your case outside the conference, and you go into your conference and dominate. Wichita State, though, is an interesting case, too, because they haven't beaten Northern Iowa yet. They haven't beaten anybody who's a sure tournament team yet. Their best win, Tulsa at home, Seton Hall at home, Alabama at home. So that's one maybe tournament team. If Wichita State gets through the season and is 0-3 against Northern Iowa and Tulsa slides off the bracket and they've got a resume without a single win over a team that's in the tournament, they could miss because only one team in 21 years has gotten a bid without a win over anyone in the bracket. Oh, wow. I, I haven't even thought about it in those terms. Like, I'm going to be in Wichita this weekend for the Northern Iowa game. I'm really looking forward to it. But it is, like, I, I think we all think Wichita's good. I think the analytics yeah. suggest Wichita's good. But, like, I'm interested in this. On Selection Sunday, or in the days leading up to it, how does the committee, and I realize it's subjective and there's different members thinking in different ways, right. but, like, if you look at Wichita State and you go, listen, that's Ron Baker and Fred Van Vliet and Takil Cotton and Greg Marshall, and they've won a bazillion games. Just because they lack wins over teams in the tournament doesn't mean that they're not one of the best teams, that uh, one of the at-large candidates. On the other hand, like you point out, if they were to lose to Northern Iowa two more times, then, then they might genuinely be sitting on Selection Sunday with zero wins over other tournament teams. Like That's a, that's a tough spot, huh? Oh, yeah. That's actually it, – it's worse to have no wins over tournament teams than to be in, say, Texas A&M's current position, where they don't have a top 50 win, right. but they swept LSU, and LSU, at least for now, is a tournament team. Right. So, so they've got wins over teams in the field. It's more important that, you know, the, the top 50, we talk about top 50 a lot, because that's basically the at-large pool, even though a few teams outside the top 50 will make it, especially in the 68-team era. But if, if you don't have a win over a team in the bracket, I mean, literally, one team in 21 years has made the tournament without a win over a team in the bracket. So... You know, if you, that, that's kind of like proving conclusively you can't play against tournament-quality opposition. Now, Wichita State won't have the number of opportunities that a team like Texas, for example, would have. Sure. But 
you know, if you're 0 and if you've played five games against tournament teams and you're 0 and 5, what do you have to hang your hat on? And, and yeah, they got Ron Baker, they got Fred Flames. I mean, I, I watch them play. I know they're a good team, which is why I think this conversation is going to be moot after Saturday. I think sure. they're going to win. Yeah. They're going to beat Northern Iowa at some point. But, you know, you got to, I mean, you got to have these conversations now before they're, they're no good. But that's, you know, that's an example. I mean, you can have a star player or two, but. But if those star players don't get you the kind of wins that you need to make the tournament, then you don't make the tournament. Wow, that's interesting. That uh, you know what, I might steal all of this and use it on television tonight because uh, I don't think that that. that this <laughs> well, is... Wichita State fans were apoplectic when I, I, you know, I'm on the radio in Wichita every Thursday morning early, and this conversation just came up out of happenstance. And I just, I just kind of threw it out there as part of the conversation, and I had a week of basically Twitter flames from people in Wichita <laughs> who couldn't not accept that concept. It's like, look, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I know you're a good team. I'm sure you'll beat Northern Iowa at some point. I mean, I, I believed in that. But you also have to understand this is your worst case scenario. If you can't find a way to beat Northern Iowa, there may not be a case for you to make the tournament. Wow, that's really, really interesting. Um, let's go back to Gonzaga for just a second before we move forward. Um, I wrote that column. I appreciate what you said about it. I was... Um, I felt good about it when I filed it. I felt better about it when you sort of confirmed it on Twitter. Like, okay, yes, I agree with this. Uh, my view was basically if you schedule aggressively and you're obviously good and then you go 33-1 and with a lone loss in overtime at a top-10 team, you've done everything you could reasonably be expected to do. Almost regardless, and I, I recognize that we started this conversation talking about how, you know, it's all relative to what other schools do. But I just sort of, almost regardless of what happens or elsewhere around the country, Gonzaga at 33-1 and one should be a 1C. We're going to give one of them to Kentucky. It looks like Virginia is going to be another right now. And then I think Gonzaga could end up with the third or the fourth, almost regardless of what Villanova does, Wisconsin does, Duke does, so on and so forth. Is that a safe assumption that all, if Gonzaga is 33-1, and one, let the rest of the country play out however it needs to play out or wants to play out or however it Whatever happens, happens. Gonzaga, one seed, book it. I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. And I think that the, the committee has shown that in the past. I mean, I, and that's kind of how I'm trying to predict what the committee will do is sort of based on how what they've done before, you know, pattern of behavior type of stuff. Here's the kinds of things that they've rewarded before. And so this is kind of what I expect them to reward now. Uh, and I think Gonzaga sort of falls into that same category as Wichita State a year ago, the difference being that Gonzaga lost a game, but it's the game that they lost that makes it a similar scenario. They're basically one point from undefeated at 33-1. And and, and that one point came on the road in Tucson. So, you know, I, I think that that's, that's a one-seed resume. Now, you know, Villanova, if they went all the way out, is going to have more quality wins. You know, they're not going to have a bad loss either. You know, at Deaton Hall, back, you know, when Deaton Hall was playing better at Georgetown, they just got destroyed there. But yeah, I still think that Gonzaga belongs on that top line at 33-1, and one, and, and I'm kind of like with you, let the rest of the country play out. And I really don't know that there's another team now other than Villanova that could really make a compelling case um, that's dislodged them from that front line. Uh, well, I mean, Duke and Virginia, because they don't play again in the regular season, went all the way out to the ACC. You might have two number ones there. Um, but uh, Villanova, Gonzaga, I mean, to me, that right now, that's your short list of one seed teams. No, nobody's talked about Villanova at you know, at least not in in terms of mainstream college basketball I conversation. Agree completely. As, I don't even hear from their fans really. And you know, it's funny because I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 no. Wisconsin fans have been killing me for three weeks about Gonzaga. Why aren't we ahead of Gonzaga? And why are we in Kentucky's bracket as the top number two? Now, 
I've never once had Wisconsin as the top number two in my bracket. <laughs> They've always been behind. I, I, and, you know, I, I've been tempted to say, and I haven't really said it, and it's no longer, uh, now that they've lost to Maryland, it's a little bit of a moot point, but I, I, my, my thought was you're chasing the wrong team. Villanova is ahead of you. I mean, Wisconsin is hurt by, you know, they didn't get great wins outside the league. Oklahoma and Georgetown, neutral board, nice wins, lost to Duke at home. Um, but in the league, there's seven other Big Ten teams that are tournament contenders, and they played one of those seven home and home and only one game each against the other six. So their conference schedule is as weak as you can possibly have it in a down year in the Big Ten. So that's holding them back, too. But, you know, they, they were chasing the wrong team. You know, they, they, they were comparing themselves to Gonzaga when they should have been comparing themselves to Villanova. And, 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 but the funny thing is, Wisconsin fans are killing me about Gonzaga. I haven't heard one word from a Villanova fan comparing their team to Gonzaga, not one, in, in this whole time. And so that surprises me a little bit. Um, not hearing from Villanova fans about that, but maybe, you know, they also understand. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they have a better understanding or maybe because of Villanova, they don't care as much. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but Wisconsin fans have been killing me and Villanova fans have been silent. It's been the same way for me. When I wrote that Gonzaga column, what I heard, the, the fan base I heard from most was Gonzaga fans. That makes complete sense. Outside of right. that, it was Wisconsin fans, just furious yep. that how could you say, if Wisconsin wins out, then, then Gonzaga doesn't deserve a one seat over them. And, like, whatever. Like, the loss at Maryland might have, I don't know what it ended that conversation, but at least quieted that conversation for a little while. But with Villanova, like, here's the thing I think they run into. No future lottery picks, so we don't think of them as having the star player. They right. they play in the Big East, and with all due respect, that takes them a little bit off the radar because of their television contract situation. Right. Um, right. Beyond that... They don't have an obvious like first team, second team, all American type of guy on the roster. Just a bunch of right. you know quality guys, and so it's a great I, team. But but my God, you look at the res and and how about this? I don't even know if they're as good as Wisconsin. But when you look at the resume, nine and six and one against the top twenty five RPI, yeah. nine and one against the top fifty, no losses outside of the top seventy five. That is very. I mean, like if they are if they close yeah. strong, really that's, good. That's a really good resume. Really good resume. Yeah. They- I, had a, I did hear from a Villanova fan this morning, now that I think about it, asking me if the Wisconsin loss meant that Villanova had a shot at a one seed. And my response was, Wisconsin didn't have to lose. Right. And you, to, me, you, to me, they were already ahead. You know, so, uh, and, and Villanova, if they, um, you know, the Big East had a great year this year, and I think that's actually one of the pleasant surprises of this season, was that the Big East had such a strong non-conference season, that they've had such a strong year, that they had so many tournament contenders in a 10-team league. Not, they're not the Big 12 but it's been the second-best league all season long, and Villanova is really doing a great job both within the league and outside the league, and I don't know how – I mean, I, don't, I know they're not getting much national attention for many of the reasons that you just pointed out, but that's a really good basketball team. Really good. I'm curious, how often do you run into – when talking about last year Wichita State as a one seed or Gonzaga – presumably this year as a one seed, when it's a school from a league like one of those leagues, I hear this all the time particularly right when I wrote this Gonzaga column, they go, okay, Gonzaga was a one seed a couple of years ago and they lost early. And so they never go to a final four. So they don't deserve to be a one seed now. How often do you run into people using things like never been, a, never been to a final four, uh, lost as a one seed three years ago. So shouldn't be a one seed now. It seems like this logic is, which is obviously flawed for obvious reasons, right. But it's only applied to the Gonzagas and the Wichita States of the world. In other words, when Kentucky in 2010 loses in the Sweet 16, or the Elite Eight, rather, 
Nobody says Kentucky shouldn't have, uh, see, Kentucky shouldn't have been a one seed because they just mm-hmm. lost in the Elite Eight. But if Gonzaga, just trust me, if they get a one seed and lose in the Sweet 16 this year, people are going to use it as evidence that they shouldn't have been a one seed. Why do you, uh, well, first if I don't want to assume anything. Do you hear from people who somehow conclude that what you do in the tournament dictates whether or not you should have or shouldn't have been something on Selection Sunday. Do you run into that all the time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, people use history to try and justify the current season. Right. And and I always just say, look, your past is your past. You're you're judged on this season. You're not judged on what you did in the tournament last year. You're not judged on the number of national titles or Final Fours. You're not judged on star players or star coaches. You know, if you've got – and I think I just said this. If you've got star players or star coaches, they should – put together a good enough resume to get you in the tournament. Right. Otherwise, maybe they're not as good as you thought. So, you know, it's, and actually we've got a, you know, a recent example of that, not at the top of the bracket, but at the bottom, you know, Kentucky was a bubble team one year and ended up being in the NIT. The name on the front of their jersey, their story history did not help them get into the tournament as a bubble team. And, you know, I mean, that kind of thing happens more frequently than you'd imagine. So, you know, it's, you know, your history is your history. That's nice, but you're judged on this season. This entire season, not you know January and February, but November and December count too and count equally. But you're you're judged on this season and this season only, and your past is your past. And what happens in the tournament doesn't have anything to do with where you were seated on Selection Sunday. Like like I'll, as soon as Wichita State lost last year, although I do think they were mostly given respect by the college basketball community for playing Kentucky to the buzzer. I did hear a lot it was of a great game. It was a terrific game, like just fabulous. I was I was courtside. It was awesome, but. They go, okay, see, see, Parrish, I told you Wichita State should have never been a one yep. seed. And I go, okay, right. what about Virginia? Should Virginia have been a one seed? They lost in the, they, you know, they lost, they lost before the Final Four. Does it mean, right. does that mean the same thing for Virginia that you think it means for Wichita State? And then, of course, they right. get like, you know, they start stuttering and stuff. They don't really know how to respond to right. that. But I, I've just always found it, um, I don't know, comical that it's that basically, it's basically elitism. Yes, it's that standard is held. To Wichita State and to Gonzaga yeah. and to St. Joe's once upon a time, but it's not yeah. that's not the standard that anybody else applies to any other power conference right. schools. If you're if you a power conference school, you get a one seed, you lose in the Elite Eight. Hey, what are you going to do? It's the tournament. Sometimes stuff happens. But if you're Wichita State, Gonzaga, you lose in the Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight. People that people use it as some sort of rationalization that you didn't deserve what you got, which is just bananas to me. But we'll run into it again this year if Gonzaga doesn't make we the will. Final Four. I you assure know, you. What's funny is I think Gonzaga as a one seed, they did, of course, they didn't make the Final Four, but the team I think that did make the Wichita. Final Four from that region was Wichita State. Right. right. As a nine seed. Right. No, it's just it's it's so it's so clearly flawed logic, but I hear it damn near every day. Last well, thing, here's the thing. Yeah, go ahead. The regular season is a marathon and the tournament's a sprint. Yes. And some teams are built for the marathon, and some teams are better built for the sprint. Well, the other thing I try to tell people is that, um, you know, in, in that NCAA tournament, like, th- things just happen sometimes. Like, the best teams well, don't always advance. Like, you know, you know people, right. people, I don't know how many people remember this, but, like, when, when Gonzaga lost at the one seed, you know why they lost? Or at least one of the reasons they lost? Wichita hit 12 three-pointers in a 40-minute game of a single elimination tournament. So, like... Sometimes, you know, just the better team, the team that really was the best team in the country, sometimes they just lose early in a 40-minute single elimination tournament. There's, and, I, again, if we're playing the NBA playoffs, seven-game series, this stuff would be much easier to predict. But, you know, because right. the luck factor is so lessened. But with the way we do this event, then, 
uh, one seeds can lose. They don't always lose, and sometimes they, none of them lose, like 2008, but, but they certainly uh, can lose. The last thing before, and reasonably lose, I guess is my point. The last thing before I let you go, I'm curious what you do with, again, not necessarily Murray State, but teams like Murray State. Running away with the OVC, they're 24-4 overall, they're 14-0 and in the league, still, RPI in the 70s, no top 75 wins. If a team with a resume like this loses, say, in the title game of its conference tournament, then what? Are they just screwed, even though they've had yes. a terrific... They are, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because again, who have they beaten? Right. And that's, I mean, that's the thing. It's, you know, Middle Tennessee, they made this mistake with Middle Tennessee. I mean, and the committee, by the way, is still learning how to deal with, you know, these extra teams. Uh, and, and I think finding out that even adding three more teams, the quality is significantly less. Plus, you've got about a dozen teams that all look the same. So they, especially the first couple of years, put teams in the field with the kind of resume they would have never even thought about uh, prior to 68 teams. Uh, and Middle Tennessee was one of them. You know, they had a gaudy record. They hadn't beaten a soul. And they got into the tournament and got bounced right away. You know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, if you, if you haven't shown that you can beat somebody, then – then why are you, I mean, you know, that at some point, don't you have to show that you can beat somebody? And so Murray State, I mean, Murray State got run off the floor by Valparaiso this year. That's one of their losses. Okay, so they don't have a win over anybody that's tournament quality. And, and Valparaiso, who may not make the tournament, maybe they will, but Valparaiso ran them off the floor. So if Valparaiso, you know, with a, with a similarly gaudy record in a similar league, is not an at-large team, how could Murray State be an at-large team? The counter-argument would be, and I, I agree with what you're saying and I understand what you're saying, but how would you respond to this? Hey, I hear you. There's no quality wins there. There's some bad losses there like Houston, Portland. But, Jerry, you got to understand, we at Murray State haven't had an opportunity to play anybody good since Thanksgiving. I understand that. Yeah, so now what? And that's sense. And in a sense, that's, that's similar to the arguments for Gonzaga and Wichita State, although they, they, they're able to find ways in part because they're in better leagues, but right. in part because of who they, what, the, the, uh, what they have built, find some better games. Uh, there's some TV appeal to them. Yeah, I understand. I, I understand you can't get the games that you want. Um, you've got if you've got few opportunities, you've got to take advantage of them. Yeah, or you know you've got to go on the road. You know, and, and you know some of these teams they don't want to just play a bunch of road games against good teams that they know that they're they're going to have trouble winning. But if that's what you've got to do to get the kinds of teams on your schedule, you need to prove yourself. Then then that's what you've got to do. You know, that's, and I'm, you know, I understand scheduling's not fair in college basketball. I completely get it, but you know, you've got to at some point prove that you can beat tournament quality opposition and you've got to get those teams on your schedule one way or another. And you know, if that means going on the road, then that means going on the road. I've always believed that as well. Like I think sometimes these coaches at programs like Murray state, which is a good program. It's a good basketball. Yeah. But, like, if they draw these lines in the sand, like, hey, we're not going to be a bye game. We're too good to be a bye game for somebody. And my counter to that is, like, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. But if the byproduct of this philosophy is that you get to play nobody all year long, are you really right. helping or hurting yourself? At what point is it worth taking an $85,000 check from Syracuse and just saying, hey, what? You know what? We're going to go play at the Carrier Dome, even though we don't want to be people's buy games and we think we're better than this. But we we need to play people, and this is the only way we can get it done. So we're going to take your check and try to and, and then try to beat you on the road. And so mm -hmm. I've, I've always thought that, though 
it, it's a little like having this firm stance of we're a program that should be respected. We're not going to be somebody else's buy game. I've always wondered if it actually does more harm to you than it does good, particularly if you ha- actually have a good team that's going to be at risk of sitting on Selection Sunday with no, right. no quality wins. Well, and, and the, you know, the thing is that that respect that you think that you've earned gets built by beating these bigger name schools. Mm-hmm. And, th- and usually it starts by beating them on the road or beating them in the tournament, one or the other. But that's how the respect is built. But it doesn't happen overnight. You know, I mean, Gonzaga isn't an overnight sensation. It took years to build that program. Wichita State's not an overnight sensation. You know, I mean, that's, you know, the, the, it takes a while for that respect to build up. You've got to have success to build that respect up. The success comes hard. It, it, nobody's going to make it easy for you. So, and, and by hard, I mean you're going to have to beat teams on the road. You're going to have to beat teams in the tournament. And you're going to have to do it over multiple seasons to build up that respect. All right. Well, I know you are a busy man and you got a million things to do today, so I'm going to let you get out of here. Thank you. Hey, seriously, thank you for being here. I do I do genuinely understand how busy you are, so I appreciate it. Remember, all of you listening, uh, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast if you haven't already over at iTunes. It's the quickest way to make sure to get your hands on the latest edition. So go do that, and uh, either way, I will talk to you again on Friday. Take care.